Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I am Joel. And I'm Josh. And ain't no party like a waffle party, because a waffle party has got me reevaluating both waffles and parties. Waffle party got weird. That doesn't doesn't flow very well, though. No, it doesn't. That's probably why it wasn't in the song. It's better than a lemon party. (laughs) Can't have a lemon party party without old Nick. That's right. Yeah, I gotta say, I probably have not reacted as strongly to any sort of party (laughs) since lemon party. (laughs) So for those not in the not in the know, yes, we are we are talking about Office Space, the 1999 Mike Judge movie, and putting it up against the recent TV show Severance, uh, 2022, that's directed by Ben Stiller. Of yeah, all it's uh, what caused me to finally get Apple TV. <clears throat> yeah, it's um, some craziness. It's that's, To put it mildly. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say right now, the theme is going to change midway through the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure Joel got far enough for the theme change, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so uh, here we are doing this. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. You can also go into the uh, show notes and join us on our Discord. So there's lots of stuff going on there. Most recently, I don't know, we're talking about hot sauce, talking about what were you drinking in there? Soju, Korean, Korean soju. Yeah. Described by a very wise man as a rough slap on the back from a very good and very drunk friend. If it's green in a bottle and messes you up fast and comes from Korea, it's probably soju. Isn't that what um, the guy was drinking in the bar in uh, Boss Fight? Yes, and uh, they each had a bottle in Squid Games, like the old man and uh, Gihan. Mm -hmm. When I was in Korea back in 89, they... uh... Uh, they told us about a type of soju there that had embalming fluid in it. And I figured, you know, if you drank yourself to death, you'd already be ready to go. But a uh, true story. I'm not making a joke. But that may be that may be the reason why they're as well, you know, right halfway there. They're living on a prayer, man. Oh, God. OK, so we do you have s- a voicemail. You, have, you started it. I. All right, fine. I'll take the blame on that one. <laughs> we have a voicemail from listener Sarah. Hi, guys. It's Sarah. Yep. Hi, hi all. Uh, wanted to say good luck, and you're doing a great job, and love you all, and bye. I thought she was about to give us the good luck. We're all counting on you. She loves us all. Feels like I got a call from my mom on my voicemail at college. That's what that sounds like. There is Aww. also a voicemail from my I, mom. I know. It was complete <laughs> gibberish. That's the thing. Back then, my mom didn't speak in gibberish. Now my mom speaks in... Fluent gibberish. Yeah. She speaks to Siri and has Siri translate, and that doesn't always go well. I thought you said Syrian. (laughs) She speaks in Syrian. I was like, what is happening? Yes, thank you, Sarah. I speak gibberish. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Sarah is kind of our den mother. Oh, wait. Yeah. She's kind of like the fifth member of the team. Yeah, for sure. 100%. She gives us ideas. She helps Josh with his acronym sometimes. You know, they kind of shoot it back and forth. And she's definitely our voice of reason when we need one. <sighs> yes, she is. Yeah. yeah. Which brings us to that time. 
this week in music, movies, and TV. And told you. All right, so this week we're going with February 19th, 1999, the release of the original Office Space. Get in here. Breast exam's on the TV again. <laughs> All right, so music. The top song in the land was Angel of Mine by Monica. I don't know that song. I do not either. Hmm. Me either, and I didn't bother looking it up because I am not a Monica fan. I like, I don't, yeah, I'm not even don't know it. entirely sure who Monica is. That's how I know I'm not a Monica fan. <laughs> she was a singer. Well, I figured she had a that show. Much. Didn't she have a show? Oh, that was Monique. Oh. Well, then I guess we'll move on. So Lamont Coleman, known professionally as Big L, was an American rapper who released his debut album, Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous, in 1995. Noted for his use of wordplay, multiple writers praised Coleman for his lyrical ability. On February 15th, Big L was shot nine times in the face and nice. torso in his East Harlem neighborhood and died from his injuries. If he didn't die from those injuries, he probably would have been horribly disfigured jesus or he would have been a legend true he'd be like 50 cent <clears throat> he'd be like 75 cent ah wait ah nine times nine times that means there were either multiple shooters dude. or somebody reloaded well it depends on the type of, if he's got a six shooter patrick yeah he's got to reload right. well, maybe he had an 11 round clip and missed twice Back in 95, you know, 11-round clips weren't common. Neither is getting shot in the face nine times. <laughs> nine <laughs> times. Well, if there's two guys, it's a little more common back then. Common got shot in the face? <laughs> <laughs> but only eight times. Slacker. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, and moving on to, finally, the section where Patrick apparently has some sort of vendetta against me. <clears throat> Take a deep breath. Released on February 23rd, the Slim Shady LP is the second studio album by American rapper Eminem. The album features production from Dr. Dre, Bass Brothers, and Eminem himself, featuring West Coast hip-hop, G-Funk, and horrorcore music styles. The majority of its lyrical content is written from the perspective of Eminem's alter ego named Slim Shady, whom he created on his first studio album. The Slim Shady LP contains cartoonish depictions of violence and heavy use of profanity, which Eminem described as horror film-esque, and though the lyrics on the album are considered to be satirical, Eminem also depicts his frustrations of living in poverty. The Slim Shady LP debuted at number two on the Billboard 100 and number one on the top R&B hip-hop albums chart. It received commercial and critical success, with critics praising Eminem for his unique lyrical style, dark humor lyrics, and eccentric personality. The first single, My Name Is, became Eminem's first entry on the Billboard Hot 100. The album won Best Rap Album at the 2000 Grammy Awards, while My Name In, My Name Is, excuse me, won Best Rap Solo Performance. In 2000, the Slim Shady LP was certified quadruple platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA. While the Slim Shady's LP's success turned Eminem from an underground rapper into a high-profile celebrity, he became a highly controversial figure due to his lyrical content which some perceived to be misogynistic and a negative influence on the U.S. youth. Despite this, the album has since been inducted or included, excuse me, in several publications lists of the greatest albums of all time and probably spiked the Vicodin problem epidemic at the time. It definitely shone a light on it, that's for sure. He sang about taking Vicodin a lot. Yep. That's a good, it is a great record though. I, I yep. legitimately listened to the hell out of that record. Same here. Yep. Yeah. 
and the one after it, the Marshall Mathers LP, I believe was the next one, and D12. Anyway, thank you, Patrick, for that fun little trip down um, Eminem Lane. I figure that's, that's an <laughs> album worth a lot of information. So. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. And only Let's move on place. to a short movies for the week. Number one movie in the land was Message in a Bottle, a romantic film based on Nicholas Sparks' 1998 novel of the same name. It stars Kevin Costner, Robin Wright, and Paul Newman. In a bottle. I kind of remember that. I never bothered to see it. I yeah, haven't seen it. The Nicholas Sparks movies are not my jam. Right. Yeah, well. no. Movies released this week were Asterisk and Obelix versus Caesar and Blast from the Past. I like that movie. Asterix and Obelix? Blast from the Past. I have That's it. the one of those two I remember. Asterix I don't remember and Obelix. Either is, of them. You don't remember Blast from the Past? No. With um, Brendan Fraser? Brendan Fraser, he grew up in a bomb shelter. Christopher oh, Walken. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he keeps putting the mountain, uh, he keeps heating up the Dr. Pepper. He has like he likes warm Dr. Pepper. Alicia Silverstone. It's, it's a lot of fun. I've never seen it, but I know the movie you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. It's it's good. it's not offensive family fun. Yeah. Now, what it's about a, Asterix? It's a retelling of a casino, man. No. <laughs> kind of. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Asterix and Obelix. That's, they've been around forever. That's a, a huge cartoon out in Europe. Oh. The, the big, the big, the two um, Vikings, little short one with the big mustache and the big round one with the with the big mustache. I mean, it's Asterix and Obelix. I'm looking it up because I'm not sure. If you look them up. Oh. Use yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. I have seen these guys. What was Asterix and Obelix versus versus Caesar? Caesar. Yeah, C A. I'm just like I don't it's remember just, that it's movie a, coming out. Yeah, it was very. Oh my god, it's live action. Yeah, craziness. What? But TV. Yes. Top shows in the land were very 1999. Who wants to be a millionaire? Friends, ER, and Frasier. Ah, Frasier. Yeah. Yep. Also, British TV drama Queer as Folk, written by Russell T. Davies, starring Adian Gillian, Craig Kelly, and Charlie Hunnam, premiered on February 23rd. There you go. Along with that, Eugene Cal Siskel was American film critic and journalist for the Chicago Tribune. Along with colleague Roger Ebert, he hosted a series of movie review programs on television from 1975 until his death on February 20th. Siskel and Ebert refused to guest star in movies or on television, however. They could both not resist appearing on an episode of The Critic. In the episode, Siskel and Ebert split and each wanted Jay Sherman as his new partner. They also once appeared in an episode of Sesame Street. Siskel also appeared as himself on an episode of the Acronym of the Week, which is TLSS. Oh, I think I know this one. Pretty sure that's a tubby lesbian special sauce. <laughs> Ew. Isn't that what Rick and Morty are trying to bring back? Ew. Yeah. No. Uh, no. He was close, yeah. though, I think, right? No, that's that's the Larry Sanders show. Uh, oh. This yeah. is the closer than Larry I thought. Show. <laughs> the opening theme to Larry Show. Don't call Jeffrey Tambor a tubby lesbian. I want to find somewhere that's showing all the critic again. That was a great show. It buy, stinks. Buy my book. Is it not streaming? I'm sure it's somewhere, but I mean, it's, I, I just, I almost wish I had it all on DVD just so I can sit and like just, yeah, anytime, yeah. You can watch it for free on Crackle or on a subscription on Philo, and that's it currently. Very nice. Wow. But that the critic, and do you remember Duckman? Yeah, it comes up a lot on the show. I don't, I don't remember watching it religiously, but I remember seeing at least an episode uh, or two. Oh yeah, I love that one. George from uh, Seinfeld. 
you know, when Jason yeah. Alexander hosted one of the roasts, one of the comedians came up, and when they took the mic from him, they were like, thank you, Duckman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to sports. On February 16th, the Heisman Trophy awarded to O.J. Simpson in 1968 brought $230,000 in an auction. The sale was ordered to help settle part of the $33.5 million civil judgment against O.J. Simpson for the stabbing and slashing deaths of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. Wow. So, yeah, just a just a huge, huge dent into that $33.5 million, yeah, that's a... which led to one of the greatest jokes of all time. Are you guys familiar with the Norm MacDonald joke he told during the ESPYs? Uh, no, I'm not. I, he had so many O.J. Simpson jokes. He's a, he, he's, he was the official host for the whole ESPYs, and it was the year that this happened, 1999. Mm-hmm. And the the current Heisman Award winner was sitting in the front row, and he's all telling him about how, you know, oh, good good job winning the Heisman Award. That's something they can never take away from you unless you kill your wife and a waiter. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. Too he soon, was, man. Oh, man, he was ruthless on Weekend yeah. Report. Just yeah, now on weekend, the news on, in yeah, California, murder is now legal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That Which is ultimately cost him that Weekend Update job was because Don Olmeyer, the head of NBC, was one of his best friends was O.J. Simpson. And he kept telling Norm, like, cut it with the O.J. jokes, and he never did. That's why he got fired. <laughs> yeah, because wow, telling, telling Norm McDonald to stop doing something is exactly how you're yeah. going to get him to stop doing that. It's like pouring water on a grease fire. Yeah. Right. It's good he stuck to his guns, man. Yep. Oh, yeah. And then lastly in sports, the sports. 1999 Daytona 500, the four, the 41st running of the event, was held February 14th at Daytona International Speedway. Jeff Gordon won the pole and won the race, making him the first Daytona 500 pole sitter to win the race since Bill Elliott in 1987. Including the number bull, the, including the no bull five bonus, Gordon earned a then-record payout of $2.172 million for winning. What? I didn't realize he could win that much. Well, I mean, it doesn't all go to him. It goes to his team and, like, you know, the, the team. The sponsor, you know, whoever bought the car. And... He gets a percentage and everything, and he gets endorsement deals and stuff from that. Yeah. Still, that's a that's a hunk of change. The, the very s- last place finisher got a payout of, like, 91000 So I mean, huh. They're sitting on a pole. That means you you qual- you had the fastest qualifying time, so you get the first you know you get the very first spot. Yeah. Right. Right. Like like the game pole pole position. position. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, okay. Yeah. Just checking. It's where the term north and south pole come from. Yeah. Like yeah. that. Yeah. You, you That's why they call them. Polish people poles. See. What the because hell is going on with you? People? We we drive all over in Daytona cars. That's how. <laughs> and that you know, and they cut a lot of hair. That's why they call them barber poles. Yeah. They. And they like to take their clothes off a lot to, to music. That's why they're called stripper poles. Joel, only you can stop this. Play us off keyboard, Joel. Na, 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 na. All right, so back in 1999, the movie Office Space came out, created by Mike Judge, written and directed by him. And if you do not know who that is, if you have seen Beavis and Butthead or King of the Hill, you know Mike Judge. Oh, damn it. Idiocracy. Yep. Idiocracy. But that came after this. Extract. Right. Yes. Oh, extract was that. Yeah, that's another weird one. But um, this is group of men who realize that they're going to be fired decide to pull a final revenge plot on their office, and that's very lightly putting it because a lot more happens. It has a one Ron Livingston as the main character Peter, Jennifer Aniston as Joanna, 
David Herman as Michael Bolton, Ajay Nadu as Samir, Dietrich Bader as next door neighbor Lawrence, <laughs> Stephen Root as Milton, National Treasure <clears throat> Stephen Root, uh huh, Gary Cole as Bill Lumberg, Richard Real as Tom Smikowski, Alexander Wentworth as Anne, the girlfriend, Joe Bays as Dom Portwood, the hearty backslapping guy, John C. McGinley as Bob Slidell, which again, then again, that's another national treasure. Love him. Paul Wilson as Bob Porter. Kenna McEnroe as Nina. Uh, she was a, the phone. A Just a moment. <laughs> uh, Todd Duffy as the tchotchkes waiter with all the smarm. Flair. Smarm and flair. Greg Pitts as Drew. O-Face Drew. <laughs> Michael McShane uh, taking a break from Whose Line Is It Anyway to be Dr. Swanson. Jennifer Jane Emerson, who's only listed as female temp, but she's the case of the Mondays girl. Ah. And then Orlando Jones as magazine selling Steve. Uh, I was once addicted to crack. <laughs> Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Oh, we'll get to that. So trivia on this one. The iconic red stapler coveted by Milton was created for the film by the prop department. They needed a bright enough color to be seen on film and chose red. After the film was released, Swinglang began to receive requests from customers for red Swingline staplers. Having stopped offering red several years before, they said, hey, money, and started making more of them. So now you can get red Swingline staplers. Laura has one. This last, this last watching made me realize I want to get one myself. Mm-hmm. And apparently everyone who works with Stephen Root wants one because he brings them to set sign. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I would love to have one of those. <clears throat> that makes me just love Stephen Root even more. Right. Have you seen my stapler? Uh, also, the PC load letter scene was not scripted. David Herman had more lines to say to Ron Livingston, but he was interrupted by the photocopier actually jamming and <laughs> didn't understand what the error message meant. <laughs> that's not amazing. What the fuck does what that does mean? That mean? <laughs> Uh, after poor box office performance, the movie gained cult status on video. Mike Judge said that he is that more people talk to him about this movie than any other project he's ever worked on. He was also offered a chance to make a sequel, Office Space 2, still renting. Judge said that because he had been through enough anguish over the first one, he didn't want to put him through, through the experience again, which I think is probably a good idea. Still renting? Still renting. Yeah, huh. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting, like, I know we posted to our Facebook page the original Milton office space uh, sketches that uh, were animated for Liquid Television and SNL. And some of the scenes, especially the ones between Milton and Lumberg, were pretty much taken directly from those sketches and fleshed oh, yeah. out. The the whole, let me let me just grab that stapler scene, Yep, is 100% straight from those takes. And in the Milton, if you haven't seen the shorts, he kind of looks like... Beavis and Butthead's next door neighbor. Yeah. Oh fuck. What was his name? Mister. I don't even know. But Hand? No, Mister. Something like that. Well, that's, that's fast so time funny to because I almost had I almost said the same thing. Mister Hand has a joke. It's something like that. So I'm assuming this is not a first viewing for any of us. Oh no. No, not not. At not all. We've watched we've watched this multiple times together. Right. Tom Anderson. Tom that's Anderson. Yeah, that's a neighbor. Yep. Anyway, yes, I've seen it, but I've. I lost count. It's just too many times. Oh, yeah. Probably one of the best takes on working in an office that I have seen in the yep. last 20, 30 years. Outside of the office. 
how soul crushing it could be to work in a cubicle farm. Mm-hmm. And all the what I think I like about it the most is it's it's not like the overarching my life this job sucks. He manages to pinpoint every single little thing that drives you nuts. <laughs> From- what's crazy about it is it all even though it's a satire and it's supposed to be exaggerated, I honestly find it almost quaint. Just it feels like working has gotten worse. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think this is a really interesting time for us to do this show, especially with these two topics right in the wake of the Great Resignation and with the rise of the anti-work movement. Like, I think it's an interesting time to look at this topic. Well, especially now also for like, you know, I work from home, but I've worked in that environment for years and it makes me appreciate the fact that I don't have to anymore. Uh but right. Yeah. The whole concept of the work life balance is radically reorganizing itself and has been for the last three years. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, even that same situation, I work from home. But I mean, from the office, there's still some things that I miss, you know, like the I got to get the hell out of here. Let's go get a cup of coffee. You know, that's sort of like a bit of camaraderie with the people that you're working with versus, you know, like I, I sit in my basement at my desk all day. You know, well, and the the kids stuffed animals well there's something the to be said for food. fellowship of any kind i mean right the free food too like i'll see them posting they're like hey it's food truck friday or you know hey there's pizza and, and uh donuts in the break room come and help yourself and then they're like okay there's still some here take it home if you want i'm just like i'm i'm at home and i can't in- enjoy any of this you know oh they message you I, well they send out emails to everybody in the building oh, and they're... since i'm technically in the building they're mocking you man Mm-hmm. Well, I I talked to my I've talked to my yeah, boss because there's, there's, there's no food. They're just fucking with you. <laughs> since we're all remote, like the team that I actually work on is spread out over Illinois and and uh, uh, Texas. So it's like, you know, they're talking about the main where she's out of. They're doing food stuff, and I'm like, I'm three and a half hours from where you are. Uh, so I'm like, what can we do so we can have that too? Can you like give us a free voucher for a sandwich or something? <laughs> it's not fair. Order us some Uber Eats, right? Please, thank you. I don't ask for much, just money. Just getting paid. But it also has probably one of the best villains in movies so far. Office the old face guy? No, Bill Lumberg, man. <laughs> oh, oh, Bob. oh, the Bobs. The Bobs I don't mind the Bobs I don't mind too much is Lumberg. Lumberg is just that whole I mean, I have worked He's the personification of, of yeah, that horrible manager. So many times. That passive aggressive bullshit. Yeah. In fact, my favorite port, my favorite moment of the movie is that when he is after he after um, uh, Peter's gutting the fish and he knocks down his uh, cubicle wall and Lumberg does that step to get in front of him and he just walks right around him. Mm-hmm. That I, I mean, that best part. I don't know the Bob scene with Lumbergs with Lumberg when they're like, "So what do you do?" <laughs> yeah, and that look on his face, he's like, "Oh shit." Something I noticed this time around, though, is while you're rooting for him because office life sucks, Peter's not a great person. Oh, no. It's no. kind of a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think he's still a little bit under that hypnosis of just, you know, he just he's just kind of turned off all his emotions. And, he, you know, one of those emotions maybe might be empathy. Could be. But, I mean, he wasn't a particularly great person before. Right. I honestly think probably the best person... If, if we're going by, like, who a, a good person, like, Peter's a, kind of a piece of shit, too, because, like I said, he doesn't care. He's given up. I honestly think the best person in this movie is Lawrence. Oh, I would say Samir. Mm. I like, like Samir makes it pretty clear 
that he had to be talked into under threat of like, he's an immigrant who uh, just wants to work. He knows he's not going to have his job anymore and he's never done anything illegal before. Right. Had to be okay. talked into it. All right. I can give it, I, I guess maybe the most genuine person is Lawrence. Sure. Give it that. Cause like, he's like with the whole, what would you do if you had a million dollars? Two you chicks. Know that? Two chicks. Uh, do you think you don't need a million dollars to do that? Girls that do me probably would. Well, what would you do if somebody at your job said, hey, "Do you have a case of the Mondays?" I reckon they'd probably get punched in the mouth or whatever he says. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love kicks in something yeah. like that. Oh, no, man, hell, 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 hell no. Hell, hell no. <laughs> like, just the just the whole concept is offensive to him. <laughs> no, he's he's a great character. I mean, the next as the next door neighbor. I mean, they have so much going on with from beating the crap out of the printer to just don't, getting don't to worry, work. I won't say nothing either. <laughs> <laughs> who, who the hell was who that? That's Lawrence. He's, he's, he's cool. He's, he's cool. <laughs> but I mean, there's so many things that they, they, that he nails on the head. Like for example, the, you know, the, the fact that Milton ha- is still there, even though he technically doesn't work there, but he's been getting paid. because there's a glitch and they're like, we fix the glitch. It's just like, he's not even a person, you know, he's not even worth them doing the, the right thing and telling him that, they made a mistake and he doesn't work there and he's, he's not going to be paid anymore. They just, you know, assume that it'll just work itself out. Or the fact that the thing that always hits home with me is when like, I have eight bosses ahead of me. So if something is done wrong, I have eight people coming to me telling me Mm -hmm. that I messed up. And none of them listening as you're trying to tell them it's already done. We fixed it. Yeah. But if I don't tell you what you're doing wrong, then I don't feel like I'm doing my job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I need, I need to say this out loud, you know, justify my own existence. Yeah. And the Bobs are pretty scumbag, too. I mean, like you said, with the whole if the whole thing works itself out with uh, with Milton, you know, just not getting paid and eventually burning the place down to the ground. It says here you've been missing a lot of work, Bob. We're missing uh, a lot of work, Peter. I wouldn't uh, say I've been exactly missing, it, missing Bob's. it, Bob. <laughs> That's uh, one of my favorite lines. In the I wouldn't exactly say I've been missing it, Bob. There's actually one other little bit of trivia I wondered if you were going to uh, bring up. Uh, oh. Lumberg's big-ass ring. Huh, mm. what about it? Uh, Lumberg's big-ass ring is his uh, Earth Force Academy's standard issue ring from his run on Babylon 5. Yeah, there was Gary a spin-off. Cole's own ring? That is fantastic. Yeah, there was a B5 spin-off series called Crusade, and he was Captain Matthew Gideon of the Starship Excalibur, and he had the Academy ring. He's still wearing the Academy ring as as Lumberg. That's pretty cool. I would have never have known that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty deep cut. Like it just looked like a class ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I probably would too. I'd probably still be wearing it today. (laughs) (laughs) Who? Another person who I love to hate in this movie is Todd, the Chachki's waiter. (laughs) Oh God! For both sides, the Chachki's boss. You know who that is. Mike Mike Judge himself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he's credited as William King uh, in the credits, but uh, that's actually Mike Judge. That's in a wig and a a fake mustache. Yeah. Because Patrick knows we've worked with Todd before. Yes. And the thing is, the guests hate him, and his coworkers hate him too. (laughs) Yeah. As he flips you off. That was. Do you remember Scott from Garfield's? I do remember Scott from Garfield. (laughs) (laughs) He was Todd. He was Todd. And I remember, I remember, um, God, just the manager just lost his name. Oh, Fred. Fred. Yeah. Yeah. Fred. Fred. Anyway. Yeah. Fred. Ugh. Wait, what? 
I don't know, Fred. Sorry. You'd you'd have loved Fred, Joel. <laughs> no, would I? Oh, well, well, actually, you guys shouldn't make fun of Fred. Fred was great when he wasn't at work. No. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. So you're gonna jump to conclusions? <laughs> oh God. This this idea is terrible. This is the worst idea I've ever heard. And Richard Real, the whole thing with uh, Tom sitting in that wheelchair, all wrapped up. <laughs> you, and, you too. Look, can, good things look, can, look, happen. can happen. But you too. Look at me. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that talk, Tom. Thanks for that. <laughs> now that that's again another person who has been working in this place for so long and doing the same thing, and they don't know how to do anything else. But just as a, as a general statement, I will say that like there's literally nothing that Mike Judge has done that I have not enjoyed. A hundred percent. Yeah, there's a few things that I don't like as much as everyone else seems to like, but this one I think I like as much as everyone else does. Yeah, I don't see oh, one, I don't see Josh being a we... big Beavis and Butthead fan. Oh, I was. Oh, one of the were. other ones we didn't mention earlier was uh, Silicon Valley. He he was behind that one too. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that one. Yeah, that, that's a great show. I like Idiocracy not as much as everyone else does. Yeah, I love that movie. Idiocracy is great. I think um, I've only seen it once, to be honest. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was funny, but I don't think I saw it more than that. I, this is my preferred one of his of his films, anyway. Yeah, and um, if you think a little too much about the premise of Idiocracy, it's uh, there's a little squicky eugenics thing going on in the premise. Yep. So but, that, I, that, that diminishes it a little for me. But I feel like this movie, though, for anybody, even if you've worked as a temp, you know, for a week in an office and the rest of your life you've done, you know, worked as a, I don't know, bricklayer or something, you can appreciate this film, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's not. Aside from the fact that it's really written written well, written it's written well. Written that's what I'm well. saying, guys. It's really written well. Um, Joel, you it, are 37 pieces of flair. I think so. It hits. It hits. You know that sweet spot for everybody, and they can appreciate it. Do you, Do you want to do the minimum? I do. <laughs> we just want you to express yourself. You want Here's to express me yourself? Don't expressing you? myself. God bless it. I've. Ugh, so many times what Starbucks, like, they did shit like come that. Come back to my place and watch kung fu movies. <laughs> nice. Can we no, want to watch first? <laughs> so, if you've been paying attention to what's been going on with Mike Judge lately, uh, he's got Beavis and Butthead do the universe that's going to be coming out 2022, and, and we'll be doing then, a show. Yep, it's going to be happening. And then he also has Praise Petey, which is follows a New York City girl who has it all, and until her life comes crashing down around her. As luck would have it, a mysterious gift from her father gives her a new lease on life. And that is starring Annie Murphy, Stephen Root, John Cho, Christine Baranski. Good little good little group there. And then and King of the Hill, right? Yep. Another uh, show. King of the Hill is supposed to be coming back and something called Exploding Kittens. Oh, the, the, the game. I don't know. It says an eternal conflict reaches epic proportions when both God and the devil are sent to Earth in the bodies of chunky house cats. Starring Tom Ellis and Lucy Liu. Huh. Hmm. And Mark Proshk, who I think is amazing. Oh, yes. Well, if, if you're a fan of what we do in the what shadows. What we do in the shadows, 100%. Colin Robinson is... I, I In fact, at the uh, where I'm at right now, there was one point where I was doing an interview with one of the talent acquisition team, and at the end of it, we finished, and they're like, oh, you know, what did you think of him? And I was like, oh, God, it was such a Colin Robinson. And one other person on the interview team was like, ah, I get that, you know? But he's only producing that stuff. He's he's only he's only writing the Beavis and Butthead movie and directing it. Um, those are the only things that are like his like things that he's actually like 
writing and yeah, directing. Yeah, that's what he's got going on. Yeah, the other thing he is producing. Um, although he did, I didn't realize this. It says here that uh, he wrote the Action Point movie that uh, Johnny Knoxville did. Oh, really? Or at least had a, a hand in it. Not necessarily oh. didn't write all of it, but it wasn't a bad movie. Mm. Maybe he did some like cleanup work or something. Yeah, you never know. But yeah. I mean, it's, and again, we don't want to have to, we don't want to start Chris Farley in this thing. <laughs> right. We all obviously have a deep and abiding love for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just recounting every scene, that's not helpful to anybody. I mean, in all honesty, we could probably recite the entire movie for you guys. But, and if you don't like this movie, if this movie isn't your jam, I'm not entirely sure why you're listening to this podcast because. I could see if you missed it the first time around, because like there are some uh, references that are very clearly dated to the culture of like right around the year 2000, like late 95 to 99. So like if you encountered it later, I get it. Yeah. But there you go. There you go. All right. So we ready to take a break? If you don't like Jennifer Aniston, I don't get that. I got to be honest. Fair. All right, so uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the trippy this year. Apple TV hit with uh, Adam Scott uh, Severance. Right. Which is a shot-for-shot remake of Office Space by Mike Judge. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what that is. Thank you, Joel. Shot-for-shot. Shot-for-shot. Starring Vince Vaughn. As The Office. We are back, and we are going to talk about Severance from 2022. This is a show about Mark, who leads a team of office workers whose memories have been surgically divided between their work and personal lives. When a mysterious colleague appears outside of work, it begins a journey to discover the truth about their jobs. Now, seeing this stars Adam Scott and also has uh, John Turturro and Christopher Walken in it, and is directed by Ben Stiller, you would think that this is a happy, goofy, fun little romp, wouldn't you? What that means is you don't know comedians. You, Yeah, <laughs> you would be wrong. This... Yeah, in fact, I'm not even sure this is a comedy. It's a satire. But if it was just a satire, it would be distressingly on the nose. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a satire. But we'll get this, there. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay, so but there are noses. This is directed by Ben Stiller. Yes, that Ben Stiller. Of the one with the nose. Ben Stiller fame. Also, <laughs> Aoife McArdle, who has done something called Kissing Candace and two episodes of the TV series Brave New World, which I really want to see. Um, also, this is created by Dan Erickson. Dan Erickson is known for Severance. And got thanks on an episode of Man vs. Animal called the episode called Ultimate Hippo. And he also has a nose. Yes, that's all. I don't know what Joel was talking about with a nose, by the way. That's why I'm harping on this. What, what the well, because they said that it's right on the nose or something like that. I don't know. Go yeah, that's, a phrase, that's, a people, that's a phrase people use, Joel. Never, never, never. That is Joe. <laughs> all right. So. <laughs> what? <Whoa>. All right. <laughs> You are uh, getting spoilers, dude. <laughs> yeah, we're we're I'm calling it right now. Spoilers. So if you haven't so, seen the yeah, show, if you, if you, yeah, if you if you want to watch this whole run with no spoilers, maybe go watch it and then come back and listen. Yeah, pause now. Come back in nine episodes. All right, I'll be back. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, this right, is so a first. Yeah, I think Josh and I have hit every episode. Pat is just the season finale out, and 
Joel read a synopsis of it on IMDb. No, I got through three <laughs> episodes. It's what I was able to do because Laura wanted to watch it too. So yeah, this is this is the first time Joel's been the one lagging behind. Yeah, yeah. no, right? Yeah, we're not dunking on you. It's just weird because yeah. usually you're the one who's watched all of it, plus the cartoon that literally no one watched. Yeah, and the behind-the-scenes footage and all the bloopers. Yeah, and I I also watched the European version just in case uh, we, we decided to talk about that. <laughs> and remember in episode three where they referenced that one Twilight Zone episode? I watched that episode. <laughs> and that would not be accurate, but yeah, we were we were watching it together, so that, that slows me down a little because I don't have as much time to do oh, that. Dude. So. Oh, yeah. did you just did you just call your wife an anchor? No. Yeah, no. sounded like it. I, sounded yeah, I, like it. Well, well, you guys can all eat a dick, except Josh. Since since we're on that topic, I, I will mention that, that Sarah Joel's and I wife's did, an anchor. No, that my wife uh, <laughs> is not an anchor, ref- and she refused to watch this. Yeah, that is because really? this was too like she's in the corporate world and doing two jobs for the pay of one because her re- replacement in her last role is not trained. So like. This was a little too much. Yeah, I know that this is something Suzanne would love. At the same time, after finishing the entire, I was worried about like, I was about the same with you, Joel. Like episode three, I'm like, oh man, she's really going to love this. I want to watch this with her. But when you get to episode nine and you finish it, you're like, I got to rewatch everything to see what I missed. Yes, because the last two episodes are going to put things into place where you're like, shit, this is going to recontextualize the entire series. I I think if I was one phrase that I uttered the most in watching this series was, wait, what? Yeah, that, I mean, I've definitely had that happen several times. That and uh, what 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 just happened? Yeah, right. Okay, so let's go. Let's get through who's in this thing first. So, I was going to say, yeah. you could tell we're excited about this because we haven't even gotten to the cast yet. Right. So Adam Scott. You may know him from such things as Parks and Rec, Big Little Lies. Uh, he does some voices in Duncanville. He was in the uh, the Nightmare at 30,000 Feet for the Twilight Zone series that we covered in the Twilight Zone episode. Party Step Down. Brothers. Step Brothers. Yes, Party Down is a really underrated show. Zach He's Cherry. He was in The Good Place. Oh, yes. oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Good call. The Devils. Sorry, not Zach Cherry. I like Zach, Zach Cherry, though. I like Zach Cherry, too. He was also Kiev in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Rings. He's also and in Duncanville. I, I, well, he was Kiev in not only... We were talking about this pre-show. Not only in Shang-Chi, he was also in Spider-Man No Way Home. True. Yep. Played the same character. Yep. Uh, Helpsters, Most Dangerous Game, bunch of a bunch of other stuff that he's been in. We also have a one Brit Lower who plays Heli in this. Uh, she has been in something called High Maintenance, Mr. Roosevelt, Man Seeking Woman, and Casual. Yeah, she is mostly a TV actress. Uh, this is the first time I encountered her. Mm-hmm. She was in one episode of Always Sunny. Really? Where the gang gets romantic. Hmm. So, but yes, we also have Tramel Tillman as Milchek, kind of the enforcer type dude. He was also De- Detective Ocasio on Elementary. He's been in Hunters. Godfather of Harlem and Dietland. I don't know what that is. I don't know. But I don't know. Have to check that out. But he's pretty good too. We also have Jen Tullock, who plays Devon in nine episodes. Yeah, that's uh Mark's sister. Oh. Devin. Yeah, Devin. With a, oh, with okay. a baby. Right. I'm sorry. Her IMDB picture does not is looks a lot different than her character. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, people would probably best know her for uh, the new Perry Mason. Yeah, Anita Saint Pierre is who she plays in that one. I want to watch that one too. I, I love the old Perry Mason. I got to find. We a way talked to watch about that. doing it as a topic, just haven't gotten to it yet. Right. Yep, it's on the list. And then uh, Deshaun Lockman as Miss Casey. You may know her from Jurassic World Dominion. She did uh, voices in Raya and the Last Dragon, and she was Rylene Kawahara in Altered Carbon. It's weird to me what IMDb uh, pulls out for for Deacon Lightman. You're, I, you're I thinking think, Agents of Shield, I, I, and I'm thinking uh, the Dollhouse and oh, Ultra Carbon. Ultra Carbon. I'm thinking the 100. Uh, I'm even thinking uh, mm. Doctor Horrible's Sing Along Blog. Mm. She she is one of the regulars uh, for old school Joss Whedon. Uh, yeah. She had a really minor role in Doctor Singalongs. The uh, two we the did, fan girls, right? Yeah, the we do the weird stuff girls. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, she is like in a lot of stuff I love. Yes. And then the the brother in law Rickon Michael Chernis. <laughs> God, who Orange is, is the new black? Funny Phineas, man. Phineas Mason in Spider-Man Homecoming. Something Werewolves Within. He was Pete Anderson. I've seen yeah, ads for this Werewolves Within. I, I kind of want to see it. Based on a game. It's so good. And, yeah, it's based off of the Werewolf... Uh, game. Yeah, the, the game game. Yeah. It's Highly recommended. Weird. It's like really? Knives Out with Werewolves. Oh, weird. Yeah. I was Man. not expecting anything, and I watched it with the in-laws, and all four of us loved it. Huh. And he's also going to be in... Dead Ringers, the TV series. Oh, no, like the David Cronenberg joint? Based off the David Cronenberg twins with uh, Michael. Gynecologists. Um, uh, the Irons, Jeremy yep. Irons, with the twin gynecologists. Oh, boy. But this one. Hey, Rachel... we can do that show. <laughs> hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. I know, right? Because this one, Rachel Wise plays the Mantle twins. Huh. Gender yeah. swap? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I know. And. It, it's it's kind of strange, kind of strange, because who's playing that, the guitar? Yeah, is that thunder? <laughs> what is that? It's it's raining really hard here, so there's a lot of uh, thunder in the oh, background. Okay. That's literally thunder. That's thunder. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow! So wow. That means we, it's headed this way. Yeah. If we lose Joel, do you know why? Yeah. Uh, John Turturro is Irving. Barton Fink himself. Barton Fink. Yes. Peter Pete Hogswallop. Hogswallop. Um, he's. <laughs> Oh, if you don't know him, seriously. Is he was just in f- Batman. Yeah. Is this the first time we've seen him and walk in together? I, I have to ask Joel. I wasn't sure. Oh. You would think not, but I couldn't place something else that they'd both been in. Yeah. I, uh, I And I even wrote down that the pairing of Christopher Walken and John Turturro is amazing. Like brilliant. Oh, yeah. Christopher Walken is Bert, who you, from... Catch Me If You Can, Hairspray, The Deer Hunter, Prophecy. Uh, he's in something called The Outlaws now. And coming up as Emperor Shaddam Fourth in Dune Part 2. Yeah. Oh. Love Mr. Walken. Loved his role in this. Yes. And finally. He was also in the, the More Cowbell sketch. Yes. That's, that's Bruce And that Fat Boy Slim video. Yes. Oh, yes. That Fat Boy Slim video. Oh. Um, like, weapon of choice. Before we get too far, uh, I did find, and I had to dig here, um, John Turturro directed and wrote a movie called Illuminata, which he stars in as well with Christopher Walken. I had to look that up, though. Deep cut. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, that's All from right. 1998. Wow. Ooh. Then finally, right. we have Patricia Arquette. Yay. Harmony Cobell, who has been in Boardwalk Empire, who has been in Medium, who has been in True Romance. Who has True been, Romance with Walken, yeah. Yeah, with Walken. I mean, just so much all the way going back My to... favorite. Her being in the music video for Doc and Dream Warriors. <laughs> well, she was, you know, she was in the star of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Yeah, there you go. Ah, my favorite. I'm so happy so to the see her. Star, I, I love her too, Joel, but saying she was the star of Dream Warriors is, is a, a I little mean, bit of an exaggeration. All right, ready. Robert England is the star, but she's the lead. She's the final girl. Huh? No, she's not. She's not Nancy. What? She dies Nancy's in the a... opening scene. No, Patricia Arquette's through the whole movie. Is she? Yeah. I could have sworn she was the one that uh, had the uh, veins uh, coming out no. as a marionette. The... The puppy, the puppet thing. No, that was so a she, dude. She was Kirsten. Yeah, Kirsten. she was Kirsten. Yeah, she made it onto the next two movies, just mm. played by a different actress. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so some trivia on this one. This was filmed at the old Bell Labs building in Humdell, New Jersey, which is kind of right, weird. I guess. No, not weird. It just seems like it makes sense when you know it's oh. a Bell Labs. Uh, the water tower out front was supposedly shaped like a transistor, because that's where the transistor was invi- invented. Oh. So if you look up the address on 101 Crawford's Corner, Hamdell, New Jersey, you will see that the roadways look like a transistor, and so does the water tower, because that's where the, I guess, world-changing technology was invented. The world's address. Oh. Do not play down the transistor. He was trying to play up TMBG. Yes. And, uh, can't respect, can't, I respect that. But that's Get well that. soon, John. Yes. So I'm just saying right now, after I finished watching this, I looked down mm-hmm. at my clipboard, at my notes, and I had a whole Silva, Pepe Silva type thing going on. <laughs> it was, it was, I have arrows. I've got giant, like, I mean, this whole There's page. No Carol from HR. These people have been waiting for their mail for weeks. <laughs> no, I mean, I have got, uh, what the hell does being re- revolving mean? Is this a cult? Uh, and you know, just so many notes, so many arrows to one other thing. I mean, it it is a full, if you want to watch a, mo- a show that has you drawing arrows from one hunch to another, get it on this show vexed. now. It will vex yes. you. Yeah. This is not a show that you can be a casual observer. Like if you really want to, you really have to pay attention because there is a lot going on. Everything feels very dense even though it's very sparse in terms of visual, like there's not like the rooms are empty. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Uh, densely packed. Cinematography wise, this, this it's blue outside. It's kind of that grayish on the inside. That's very sparse, very, even, even on the scenes that take place outside the office, it's gray overlay in the dark. Yeah. There's no blue at all inside. No. And there's a little bit of blue outside. That's one yeah. of the big differences. A lot more What's, white and gray inside. Now, if people haven't watched any previews for this, like I know we did a light summary at the top, but I think one of the things that uh, if you haven't seen this, the implication off the beginning <laughs> that like you're, when you're separated, your work self is one person and your home self is literally another person, which means that your outside person doesn't remember whatever happens while you're at work. That's fine. But the person who goes to work gets off the elevator, goes to work, 
goes home and then immediately steps back off the elevator, their entire life is work. Yes. And it kind of gets into that if you've ever had a bad job and you feel like, fuck, it feels like I was just here. Mm -hmm. It taps into that anxiety and turns it up to 11. And then you kind of get into the other place where you realize that you are making these sacrifices if you're at a bad job while you're there for the person you get to be when you're not there anymore. And this is questioning, like, what is, like, is it worth it? Is this the way humans are supposed to exist? But like I said, if that's all it was, if it was just the social satire, I would have been like, okay, it was interesting. But because it's not just that, it gripped me. But I think it's important for like people who haven't even seen a preview to know what this is. Yeah, do not do not step into this thinking as a lighthearted ton- comedy. Right. There's nothing tongue in cheek about any of this. This is a. In all reality, about the only the only things in common between you know the then and the now in this episode are the office building and the cubicles. Well, um, and there's a satire element in both. It's just I, I... the satire in this takes a backseat. I would. Laura picked up on something because Laura didn't know what the the show was going to be about. She and she loves Office Space, but she wanted to watch the show because you know she loves the cast. Um, she said because I said this was kind of because Josh, if I'm correct, this was your suggestion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, well, what do these have to do with each other? And I was like, well, I mean, they're both take place in an office. And she's like, well, I guess it makes sense because when he goes to the hypnotherapist in Office Space. He basically asks for this situation. Oh, oh, good. That was a good pull from Laura. Nice. And I thought that was your intention. So when you said, when you just said that, I'm like, oh, that was unintentional. Well, there you go. So yeah, we'll we'll just go with that. Yeah, I suggested this once. I had seen an episode and a half of the show where it was still mostly satire, and where I kind of agreed with your initial assessment that it had a little bit of an element of like being John Malkovich. But I think you get a little further and you realize that there's nothing absurd about the show. Everything is planned and there's Mm -hmm. a logic to it. Not unlike The Prisoner, where it's like the reason it feels absurdist is because you're missing some context. Yeah, there's so many things that happen in the first couple episodes that make complete sense by the third episode. Which the third episode is where I got and I felt like, yeah, like things were uh, like there was more to pick up on because I was comparing it with the it was a mix between the Manchurian Candidate Internal Sunshine with a little bit of being John Malkovich and a Westworld intro was that was after one episode well and Eternal Sunshine I think is a pretty good comparison there's a lot of that in this did you get as far as to being introduced to the concept of the four humors woe frolic dread and malice I don't remember that specifically no okay because I, I don't want this. This is one where we're going to have to drift into slight spoilers for you, because I thought they might have done that by the third episode. It, it's the four elements of every person's personality that uh, the Kier, uh not not the Kier family, the uh, uh, the Egan, Eisen, Egan, yeah, the Egan, fa- the e- uh, Egan, Kier Egan uh, identified. And what he says, like mastering these four elements of a person is kind of the what's behind the company. And a lot of the fan theories have to do with those four words about like, do each of the characters represent one of the woe, frolic, dread and malice? Oh, oh, shit. Yeah, I can totally see that. It's pretty obvious that Mark is woe. Yeah. And Uh, because they are 
four very different personalities. Yeah, and Dylan is... I'd say Dylan is malice. I would say Heli is malice. I don't know. Did you see when Dylan is meets up with the uh, Christopher Walken and his work partner in the hallway in the third episode? Yeah, and he's just like "fuck you, shit." He's just going off on him like he's fucking. And there's some stuff Joel hasn't gotten to yet. Dylan tends to react with violence. Yeah, Yeah. and I would say Totoro is frolic. Then yes, I would say so. That uh, he uh, tends to focus on the things that make him happy. Yeah. Whether that's a dedication to company values, whether that's his relationship with Bert, uh, what some of us know about his Audi personality. Which yep. we got a lot from there, his meeting with Miss Casey, which whew, uh, that was that was fascinating. Uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. Maybe not. Be, hang on a be second. Be careful. Be careful talking about Miss Casey. <laughs> don't Miss Casey. Yes. Ah! Okay. I that, may just that, kick Joel. I mean, just... <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, if you want, I can leave. For no, like no, 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 no. I think it's more entertaining for us to have to freak out. Um, but there are reasons why Heli is dread that I don't want to get into for either Patrick or Joel. Mm-hmm. There's, there's re okay. And some of the things that let me go, let me go to the early portions of my, okay, so the dinner party where they're yeah. all doing nothing but drinking water. I what things that I wrote. I want to slap the shit out of the brother-in-law, <laughs> and this this part dinner party makes me want to claw my eyes out. He wrote a book. He wrote he five books. Five books. And then, God bless it. What happened in episode three? Now I'm trying. I mean, because they go down to the place where all the the former like uh, bosses or whatever, like the big statues. Okay. It's like a oh. weird museum. Oh, the perpetuity ring. The perpetuity if you went ring. to the perpetuity ring, you've encountered woe, frolic, dread, and malice. You just missed okay. it. I may yeah. have missed it then. Or, yeah. I don't know Because, yeah, that but... is one of the things that, like, the big statue is talking about. Okay. And, uh, Heli continued to try to get a note out, and she ran, she ran away at one point, and they were chasing uh-huh. after her, and she was busted out the window and was getting all then, then she winds Agitated. up in the break room. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It ended. Yeah, season or episode three ends with her in the break room. That's right. And we learn a little bit more about uh, um, harmony and kind of that situation outside and inside of work, mm-hmm. which I, I kind of picked up on as soon as I saw where she lived. But uh, I have theories. I don't know if any of them are right. Do tell. Yeah, this could be interesting considering that half of us have seen all of it. uh, One of us is almost there. Yeah, tell us honestly that I think would would move this along. Tell us your theories, Joel. Well, I mean, the fact that that uh, you know she obviously is not severed, uh, right? Because she she clearly is fucking with him outside of work. But the fact that she lives next door to him, or at least is there, and they talk about how he talks about how he doesn't have a neighbor on the other side, and it's quiet. I feel like that the outside world is the people that work inside are also the people that are in the same area outside. So whether there's some sort of there's a correlation correlation there, I think, between the two, which I have. Well, I, I will yet. tell you this, that there he is living in company subsidized housing. Yeah, it's a company town. That, yep. That's you. Pro, that's another thing you should have encountered already, but might have gotten lost in the shuffle. Because there's a lot. There's a lot to pick up on. Uh, oh, and For his sure. friend. His friend, uh, I assume, is dead. Um, Who, Petey? Yeah, because at the the very end of the episode, I think it was in the end of part three, where 
he's outside of the convenience store and he's bleeding from the nose and mouth and he falls down and uh i just assume he's dead based on that um whole premise the yeah. whole pd and mark but, thing also taps into a very common fear that moment where you've been working for a while and like somebody leaves and you're promoted and you're like oh fuck i'm the boss now yep i've been there and I, like that rang really true the whole feeling like okay i have to do this but i've never been the guy who does this before right and something that i noticed is when he got that promotion he he got moved up there i think it was either irving or dylan who made the crack about uh mark's freshman fluke something something blah 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 that nothing has happened since mark's freshman fluke so something must have happened when mark got there the very first time that that those two remember that to this point yeah, because that's how he got the award that you don't see till later, which isn't a major spoiler for Joel. It's just there, there's an award near the end of the series that you normally get for being refiner of the quarter. But they made a point to say that Mark got one for himself that we see that he got for his freshman fluke, whatever that was. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm hoping, and I you know I don't I don't want to know obviously if they do, but that they're going to shed some light on what exactly they do. Uh, there. Okay, I, I will. That... I will save you some time. No, <laughs> you are going to get lots of answers. You're gonna, some yeah. answers are going to be uh, season wide things. Some answers are going to be series wide things. And thank God they got it picked up because it ends on the mother of all cliffhangers. Yeah. Well, that's not good. I don't like cliffhangers. Well, well, then you're sorry. gonna be real. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna have a hard time for the next six episodes. <laughs> I was gonna say you got about one more episode before you're gonna have a hard time not watching the rest of the season. Well, yeah. and it's it's it, we're both into it now, so it's definitely gonna be finished. Uh it's just you know a matter of of when, not if. Now, one of the um, things I like about this is how much they go in on making you feel uncomfortable, no matter where you're at. For sure. Even like one of the early shots of Mark just in his car weeping, bawling yeah. like a baby and then getting yeah. himself together, putting his ID on and going in. And that's and I'm not going to be too proud to say I haven't ever had a day like that, but I have had days like that. You know, it's and initially I thought it was just the this job sucks type of thing. But everything down to, like uh, Pat was saying, how the when you go into the office itself, it's very yellow, it's very sterile, it's very, um, uh, uh, I don't say moldy looking, but it's got kind of like, like that overlay on top of it, all the way down to the music being so sparse and so repetitive that it makes you, it puts you on edge. Well, and this, even his house is really sparse and, mm -hmm. you know, minimal and... Uh, and it's what? weird how something, especially in the office, the rooms that are so big can feel so claustrophobic. And it's interesting because Mark's uh, motivation for the severing is the most clear. Like he lost his wife in a car accident and he de can't deal with his pain. But like it, what it means is like he can't remember the eight hours a day where he doesn't know that his wife died. It means he's just living that trauma the other 16. Yeah all the time and like is this really helping him and then on the inside he's trapped in this job and doesn't really know why and they don't know what they're doing they've been told that the work is mysterious and important it's gotten to the point where employee manuals almost are like bibles yep uh the employers are like gods uh 
especially so, uh, the, the one moment where uh, Totoro Irving says that um, they need to start putting post-it notes around for Heli with inspirational quotes from the from the employee manual. Yes, because policies are like psalms, mm-hmm. a- and that's what these people have. Is they're in this commoditized existence where like everything is about the company and they almost have to like, okay, how do we fulfill all of these people's human needs? And this is their world. Which incidentally, there's something that happened at one point that we didn't rewind to find out a, what exactly was said. I didn't hear it the way that Laura heard it, but she seemed to think that at that, at the dinner party, it was, I think it was after the dinner party. Um, he's he's eating a sandwich with his sister i believe um and there was some reference was that there's a shortage of food or something if is that anybody else is that accurate i don't think there's a food shortage no okay no, i didn't I, think so but that's what she thought that there was something else going on i'm like i don't think it's like a dystopian future uh no it seems like it seems like pretty normal normal out out outside of there type of thing but um the thing that I did notice is the technology change from outdoors, outside the office to inside the office. Because outside the office, they have smartphones, they have flat screen TVs. But when you go into the office, you're going back to old green screen CRT monitors. Yeah, they... I noticed that too. I was like, they're using this high technology, but they're also using this really outdated technology at the exact same time. Right. And I mean, initially... Like, like when tele- I... Teleporting through rotary phones. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was kind of weird because initially I was looking at the stuff, all the tech that they were using for being inside the office, and so much takes place inside the office in the first half of the season that I was like, oh man, this, I thought it was initially set in the like mid '80s, like early eight, early '80s, say '86 ish type of thing, until they got outside and somebody pulls out a smartphone. I'm like, well, why? What's that change about? You know, and then why are why do some of these numbers cause dread? In people, I mean, at one point, Heli gets immediately scared of a number, and I, mm. you know, bruh, so many questions. Well, the note system that picks up on if you're trying to smuggle a note out—that's obviously not a low-tech thing, right? Uh, but well, yeah, then the screen is like a severing your damn brain is not a low-tech thing either, right? right? I mean, the, probably the real answer is that the low-tech look. Uh, contributes to the aesthetic. It looks cool and it uh, contributes to you feeling weird about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But like you can probably find a in-universe reason why it's low tech. Like maybe it's harder to hack. There, there's lots of reasons you could find as a justification, but it's probably really an artistic choice. Well, just like the, you know, the fact that there's only four cubicles in this giant room. I mean, it's not a very... Well, because they're looking to expand. Right, it's not and a good use of space. They you give, don't they know that... how many apar- uh, like different departments there are, how many people work there. Right, right, and then eventually you, f- okay, Joel, okay, you, okay, you <laughs> mentioned this that you, yeah, I know, right? You mentioned the point when Dylan like was getting hostile towards um, uh, Bert Christopher Walken, Walken's yeah. character. Okay, there is some serious history from this because it seems like everybody is working for the same company, but at the same time, everybody is extremely cautious and holding every other department at arm's length. Well, and I think that this is a theme and I'm going to drift a little close to spoiler for Joel here, but I'm going to try to try to weave this. I think they want to be very, very careful about people developing personal relationships because Mike has uh, observed that this job is like a cult. And one of the, 
things that cults want to do is they want to cut you off from anyone you can make a meaningful human connection with. Mm-hmm. And each of the four employees, as they go through their journey on the season, they find their moment where they're being dissatisfied with their lot in life through personal connection. And I think making sure that they don't interact too much with the other departments is part of the plan to limit the amount of human connections they could make that could provide them an out from the cult-like behavior. And they use a lot of uh, interdepartmental misinformation to to keep them apart, not just physical distance as well. Correct. So, yeah, especially as you get deeper into the series, like the idea that there are some cult-like elements to Lumen, I feel that idea is right on track and that feeling gets stronger and stronger as you get to the end of the season. Yeah, religious elements and aspects and overtones definitely start ramping up. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to continue this conversation, join (laughs) Josh and Patrick and I on the second part of this show. And (laughs) God, I want to say so much. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the spoilers channel in the days to come. We'll give Joel a couple mm-hmm. days to catch up and then be like, yeah, just don't look in the spoilers channel. dude." <clears throat> yeah. Hmm. Do you want to subscribe to Guardians of Justice Facts? <laughs> I, I would. I liked it. <laughs> but yeah, I like I, I think the thumbs up, thumbs down on this is going to be pretty obvious because like I, I was this was the show. As much as I like Mythic Quest, as much as I'm looking forward to Ted Lasso, this was the one that made me decide, okay, Apple TV is yet another streaming service I'm paying for. Yeah. And uh, I, when they do season two, day one, I'm watching. Oh, yeah. Yes. And have uh, you watched uh, Ted Lasso yet, by the way? Not yet. I okay. I literally just started uh, Apple TV subscription three days ago. I, uh, Same here. I, hmm. So... I'm still on my free trial, but I will be paying for it. I will be watching some other things on it. Fantastic. So, Josh, you brought it up. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say thumbs up, thumbs up for everybody. Yeah, that, that's where I am. I mean, even though uh, there were some dated references for me in Office Space, how can you not love something that's got Stephen Root in it, in like his signature role? And everybody's always talking about how much I hate everything. Well, Office Space is something that I love because it's awesome. You know why? Because it talks about something you hate. I I was afraid. I was afraid that you would hate Severance. Uh, And I think if it had just been the set on the nose satire and not the mystery. And who knows? I I liked it from the beginning. I literally did from from the from from him sobbing in his car. I think I was hooked. (laughs) I was like, okay, yeah, I relate to this dude. <laughs> that is so on brand. <laughs> oh, Joel, you want you want to form a connection with me? Just showing somebody having a mental breakdown when they're by themselves. I'm like, I'm in. I, I explained so much about this podcast. <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. Uh well, it's obvious. Thumbs up uh, all the way around. Yep, fantastic. And for me, thumbs up, thumbs up. Uh, cool. So, so if you've got your thoughts about Office Space, Mike Judge, maybe we were the inspiration for you to watch Severance. If you, if we were, let us know. Give us a call at seven zero eight now. Wrap that seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven. Yeah. Before we disappear, real quick, I want to say last thing about Mike Judge. If you have not seen the clip, Mike, you should put this in the show notes when you when you post this. The clip okay. of him explaining explaining how he got Boomhauer's voice. Remember that clip that I? Posted? Oh yeah. yeah. 
that's one of my favorite Mike Judge interview clips of all time. So that's the last thing I want to say about the great Mike Judge. I'll shut up now. Okay. All right. So if you're looking for a back catalog of shows, you can find them on your favorite pop, 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 your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Podbean or Pandora. You can give us a thumbs up out there. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear about it. But if you really like the show, pass it on to a friend. Share that stuff out. Because uh, we are on Apple, Google, and Amazon Podcasts. And you can also support us through the Kofi link in the show notes and help us uh, pay for hosting costs. Joel, what else we got going on? Uh, well, we're going to be talking about the father of the bride. Uh, doing a little house party jam jam at some point here soon. Day there should still. Maybe a little Valley Girl even. Who knows? Lots of stuff coming up. Bond. Yeah. James Bond. Oh, yeah. And James yeah. Bond, perhaps, too. Yeah, since everybody start watching, as far as I know, all the James Bond movies popped up on Amazon. So It's a big shoe. Yeah, the new movie hit Amazon Prime, so they have now apparently got the rights to pretty much everything Bond. Yep. All right. Cool. So uh, for all of you, remember us. Try to remember us when you get into work. They erase your memory. May we'll you all have waffle parties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I look forward to Haunting Joel with the words waffle party until he gets to that episode. Man, I love my egos, but I don't want no waffle party. Well, well, I mean, okay, I'll take that back. <laughs> yeah. I like those were really good looking I, waffles. Uh, it was going to be something awful. And then I was like, oh, I, 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 well, see, this is going to be fun for a couple of days. <laughs> a blue waffle party. No, it was not a blue waffle party. In fact, uh, well, <laughs> that's true. If anybody wants Josh going, well, is there a ringtone? Let me know. I'll cut that out. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. And they like to take their clothes off a lot to, to music. That's why they're called stripper poles. Joel, only you can stop this. Play a soft keyboard, Joel. Nah, 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 nah. I mean, I had to wait. I can't just, you know. He has to be told. Yep. He's like a vampire. He can't do it unless he's invited. <laughs> exactly. So that you guys could have kept going, and I wouldn't have been able to stop you. Well, I was running out of stuff, so... I know he was losing his steam there. It was... Yes, then... running out. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs>